Welcome to the Artistic Talk of Hamburg Open Online University at Hochschule für Musik und Theater Podcast. Our topic today is audiation-based music learning and community enrichment. My name is Almut Zübergrüb. I am professor of music education, early childhood music education, and I'm in charge of the project Elementary Music Practice International here at the Hochschule für Musik und Theater Hamburg. My guest in the studio today is Christopher Azara, professor of music teaching and learning and affiliate faculty jazz studies and contemporary media at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, USA. For three decades, you teach based on music learning theory. What do you think? Why should every music educator know about audiation-based music learning and music learning theory? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to speak and to talk about these uh, issues and topics. It's uh, something that I have a lot of uh, passion for and something that I appreciate the opportunity to come here to Germany and the music school here in Hamburg. So thank you. Uh, the Directly to answer your question, the most important thing I can think of to say about this is the idea that audiation is to music what thinking is to language. So in music, we have the potential to understand and comprehend our ideas in a way that's similar to how we think in language. And the idea of expressing our ideas and thoughts through... Um, an exchange with a teacher and our other colleagues and musicians and students is fundamental to, I think, education. Uh, the word education in English comes from the Latin word educare, which means to lead out of someone. And so audiation represents this idea that we have embodied and have uh, internalized music. We have musical thoughts and we're able to share them. What music learning theory does is describe a process for how we learn music that is sequential. Uh, for example, it tells us what we are teaching and when and why. So that when we introduce ideas to music students, we have a way to think about it in terms of when we might present it and Uh, in the best practice for learning, because it prioritizes this idea of the psychology of learning. With those concepts of the psychology of learning and audiation, we can be better teachers. And I think that's why most people would be uh, perhaps motivated to investigate music learning theory and the concepts of audiation more deeply. There are people who don't know about music learning theory. So maybe for those people, you could describe in a few words how the music learning theory approach is different from other ways of music teaching. Yes, yeah, so this question is interesting because in some ways you could say that music learning theory is not one approach. It is a description of learning that would embrace many approaches. So specifically what that would mean is that when you understand the idea of a process of learning that involves sound before sight and experience before theory, those concepts have been around many, many, many centuries from educators from around the world. What learning theory does is specifically describe 
how you might start with, uh, for example, particular songs and the patterns of music from uh, a real conversational and oral point of view. And that would move toward improvising music and reading music and composing music. And that, for example, you wouldn't rush straight to learning the music theory without the context of singing and moving and improvising. That was uh, what attracted me to music learning theory was this idea that improvisation was so integral to the foundation of learning. So, in a way, from my experience, most music education classrooms skip the idea of learning to improvise and create, or if they do involve those skills, uh, they may not be as well thought out as they could be, which provides me an opportunity to share some teaching techniques for teachers who can make improvisation more central or creativity more central to the foundation of music learning. Music reading and composing should be sort of thought of in a way that has the context of improvising and uh, creating, much like you learn to read language in the context of speaking and thinking language. So it's a good analogy to think about language. I'm a little bit careful because I would say that language is a music. A lot of people think that music is a language, but you maybe even would consider this analogy that works well because there are a lot of similarities in how we learn to speak a language. Um, but there are differences about music. Music is uh, something that is a unique idea of expression. But to make the analogy to language to somebody who hasn't experienced uh, music learning theory is a real good way f- for people to get their head around the ideas that are, that are central to the music learning theory. Another idea, I think, um, if I think about um, Dr. Gordon, who developed the music learning theory, is that he did a lot of research um, how did that influence music learning theory, his research? I think one of the biggest things that Ed Gordon did was research uh, aptitude, which is a concept which means what is your potential for learning music. And he designed several aptitude tests that allowed teachers to understand the individual needs of students. So, for example, some students may be more... Uh, skilled or more aware of rhythmic concepts of music. Some students might have more awareness for harmony and tonal aspects, some for sensitivity and expressive elements. Ideally, we want to include all of those and maximize all of those components in our music teaching and learning. The idea of aptitude would mean, well, how can I address this particular student in a way that uh, interacts with their needs? And so by having a foundation of trying to get an understanding of that research, the music learning theory evolves into a best practice for starting with learning by ear, which is called aural-oral in music learning theory, and then developing the names for things after you have an experience that is um, rich and interactive uh, by ear, What's what what we call a neutral syllable or uh, just cultural interactions for songs and folk songs and any kind of tunes you might learn. Um, the research then might be thought of as how do you present uh, creativity in that light? Ultimately, how do you represent composition and reading in that light? 
And then the, what learning theory would describe as the highest level of learning would be some theoretical understanding of that. So through that paradigm, much research has been done. I think the foundation for all of that research was a lot of Gordon's interest in uh, aptitude and, of course, learning, the psychology of learning in general. In fact, I think the first publication in this area was called The Psychology of Music. Educators and researchers that are attracted to music learning theory are interested in what we teach, when we teach it, why we teach it. Learning theory is a very good description of that. There are materials, many of us have developed materials, for how the teaching techniques of how you might teach a song by ear, how you might introduce improvisation and reading and composing. Um, but to get back to the original idea, there isn't only one way to do that. What we're suggesting is that the methods and techniques should be informed by an understanding of this sequence of sound before sight and experience before theory, which music learning theory does a terrific job of explaining in detail. Both of us knew Edwin Gordon well, and I remember him saying that people should do more research and develop ideas in their own way through practical applications that are contextual to the community of the musicians and learners of different cultural backgrounds. Do you think it will be possible to include music that is non-Western classical, for example, Arabian music, into the ideas of music learning theory and the teaching? Yes, absolutely. Because music learning theory describes how we learn, it is applicable to cultures from all over the world. And the foundation of that would be the music making that is uh, unique to that particular part of the world as a foundation for the musical exchange. The basic idea of music learning theory would say that we start with singing songs and learning harmony by ear. So in another culture that wasn't Western, you would start with repertoire from that culture that was not only um, historically pr uh, prevalent in the culture, or another way to say that would be uh, music that is uh, indigenous to that culture. Also, any of the creative musicians that are living now who are making music informed by that part of the world uh, it would be foundational to what people would learn. And so, because learning theory is a model for learning, it doesn't say you have to do Western music. It just says that the music of your culture would be a foundation. Before you begin to read that music, before you begin to have theory for that music, there ought to be a foundation of your own embodiment and audiation for that music. And in that way, the learning theory can be applied to any part of the world. Mm -hmm. You talked about the theory and reading um, and there are more details in mu music learning theory that are special for Western music, for example, solfege. Yeah. Um, how could this be applied to, um, to other cultures of the world? Well, I think that the, the idea of solfege, by definition, is a way of naming sounds and the groups of sounds that we are learning. So it might not be a direct... In some cultures, the solfege of the West might not be appropriate because the music itself doesn't lend itself to that 
kind of organization of music. But the naming of the sounds would be helpful to the learning of things. The idea of music learning theory suggests that the foundation would be on a neutral syllable or just sort of singing songs with and without words, learning harmony, rhythm, and expressive components. And then having that as a foundation, we can name the different aspects of musical uh, expression. And in the West, we have words like tonic and dominant. We have solfege like do, mi, so. We have rhythm syllables that have helped because the Western music lends itself to those kinds of names. In another culture, you might have different names because the music lends itself to different names. But you would still have names that would help. One example in language would be that we all know what trees are. If I said in English, a tree, or in German, how do you say tree? Baum. And we all know what they are, but they're all sort of different. Um, but if we said tree, that evokes uh, an imagination for you. Now, the more I know about trees, the more specific I can be about the names of different types of trees and the names of different leaves and the different functions of trees and what makes a tree as we go deeper into naming what exists creatively as a tree. But when you're a young child, you, the more you experience nature, let's say a tree or sand would be a good example, the more you experience sand, the more you experience water, the more meaning you will have for the name of water. And so... Many times in music education, we teach the name water or the name tree or the name dog. And people haven't never experienced a tree, water, sand, or a dog. They just know the name. And they may even know how to spell it. I joke in class sometimes about the word dog in English is spelled D-O-G. And people could spell D-O-G and get a good answer on the test. But if they've never met a dog... It's difficult to explain a dog to somebody without meeting a dog. Imagine you never met a dog. How would you explain it without explaining a cat? So what music learning theory says is without that experience, spelling the word, it really has no meaning. And so in music, that would be the same as without singing and movement and improvisation, learning the spelling for words, or sorry, pardon me, for musical f- ideas, would not have as much meaning. And I can also say that Gordon isn't the first person to talk about this. He's just been able to put it into context for a theory. Uh, I can think of immediately, and certainly I'll leave people out, but somebody like John Dewey, who is a big music educator, uh, foundation educator in um, the United States, he said that, uh, that education isn't preparation for life, education is life. Or the idea that uh, someone like uh, Lev Vygotsky, who is a psychologist about learning, general learning in in uh, life, would suggest similar things. Or any of the people who have studied learning uh, as a psychologist would would really be attracted to this idea that I'm describing about experience before theory. Pestalozzi, the famous educator from Europe, uh, was very famous for saying experience before theory. So these are things that have been around for centuries, and yet music teachers need to be reminded of them. Music learning theory is one of those ways to remind people of the basic concept of that. Thank you. Yesterday, 
we talked about the situation of the time when jazz music developed and that it could be used as an example to think about ways different cultures can come together and to inspire each other and can create music. Yes. The jazz music in, in America came about because of all these different parts of the world coming together in one place. Europeans, people from Africa, uh, people from uh, all over the world centrally come to the United States, but in one area, New Orleans and uh, that region of the States, uh, musicians interacted uh, with the rhythms of Africa and the European harmonies and jazz evolved. Uh, some of the situation in the United States wasn't the, the nicest context for things. Uh, some inappropriate social interactions were happening. At the same time, this music jazz arose because whenever cultures come together, they interact musically and interact in lots of ways and learn from each other. And that's the nature of growth, the idea of a music emerging that's an improvised music that is now very pervasive around the world uh, originated because different cultures came together and made music together and interacted in relationships together. I'd like to ask a more personal question now. What is it that you like most about teaching music using music learning theory? Well, that question reminds me of when I first got introduced to these ideas through Richard Gruno who is a professor at Eastman, now retired, and my colleague and co-author. Richard Gruno was an inspiration to me because uh, at the time that I met him, I was thinking about how, as a jazz musician, I was creating and improvising. And as a music teacher, I thought I could do a better job of sharing those kinds of skills with my students. And so when I came to Eastman, I took a course with uh, Richard Gruno at the beginning of my master's degree there, And I realized that music learning theory was a potential model to bring improvisation to the center of our learning experiences. And it was a window for me to create curriculum and uh, inspire others to think about improvisation as something that should be more central in teaching and learning, much like speaking a language is interactive and Uh, conversational, this improvisational component has that same potential. And the improvisation can inform our reading and our composing and our theory. Many people separate those ideas. They separate improvisation or learning by ear from reading and composing. My suggestion, uh, and I'm quite passionate about this idea, that the listening and improvisation need each other for understanding. And as we develop that relationship of interacting with our listening and improvising uh, skills, we then have context for our reading and writing skills, which are similar. Reading is how we take some ideas in, and composing is how we reflect and express our ideas. Listening is how we take ideas in, and speaking is a spontaneous way to suggest what we think. And As I began to really delve into this research of my own, I began to think, wow, we do need to do a better job of having students tell us what they think, because that's education. What do you think about that? And through improvisation 
and composition, that's when they can tell us about that. Well, if we have a model where students never have an opportunity to tell us what they think through improvisation and composition, then we've set up a situation that might be a little dangerous. And I know that's a very serious thing I'm saying, but imagine a situation where you weren't able to tell people what you thought. So I think that's why I have so much passion for it. So music learning theory now, at this point in my career, uh, three decades later, sort of informs this idea that I have for the importance of creativity in a way. And so I'm always on the lookout for places and people and contexts for this interaction that would support the interchange of ideas with each other for growth and innovation. And that is what attracted me so much in the beginning and continues to keep me interacting in my awareness for my teaching and my own personal growth. So it's a really fundamental concept that comes really from my desire, even before I met Dick Gruno, to think about the importance of creativity. And then through my interactions, through Dick Gruno and also obviously co-authoring with Ed Gordon, uh, I was able to make it more concrete and have more practical application as I move on in my future of my work and the contributions that I can make, I think it's just to remind people of the importance of creativity and how that can be more central to their music teaching and learning. Thank you. And talking about improvisation, I think there's something else. Um, improvisation has to do with communication. And if I think about you coming all the way from the U.S. here to Hamburg, um, it is most important. It has to do with developing relationships. Right. I think that is very key, that the relationship I have with you, uh, the, the, the commitment we have to each other about helping to share some of these ideas with students and with each other is foundational to our growth as a music profession and as humans interacting with each other. And that foundational to uh, being here in person as compared to perhaps doing it remotely. Certainly we can use technology to do things remotely, but... With music in particular, having personal contact uh, in being in the same place together is quite uh, inspiring. And the pr priority of developing those relationships through music, through spontaneous improvisational interactions, through the performance of compositions, which might have the opportunity of reflection and revision, and then ultimately performance, and being there with each other in person, and of course, staying in touch Uh, throughout the year remotely is key to our growth and innovation as a profession and as a, as a community of musicians and teachers. There's a last question I'd like to know what you think about. Um, universities and schools of music, they are responsible for different kinds of relationships, locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Well, this is key to the university, I think, mission. Uh, the word university is related to the word universe and the idea of bringing together the universe of learners and teachers in a way to think about our growth and development, to think about innovation and experience and developing relationships in our local community and then how that relates to our 
maybe in the United States we might think of it as the, a town, a city, a uh, as the state of New York, for example, where I'm from. The United States, the United States as a part of the continent, the United States as a part of the world, our relationships with Europe and Asia and different continents and Africa and South America. But it all kind of comes down to that universe of relationships that can happen right next door, very fundamentally and very importantly, but also how we think of our community as a very large human community across the world. I think it's key for universities to be passionate about that and make a difference in a way to coordinate and inspire people to come together around different topics, our particular topic being music and music learning. So this weekend, you are part of our Elementary Music Practice International project. We call that EMI. And your workshop is one of seven workshop slots And we are so happy to have you here as part of this big international project. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. And I think this is another example of a practical application of some of the things we've been discussing in this conversation. This idea of bringing people together to develop their awareness for teaching and learning, my particular contribution being around the importance of improvisation and how that can be considered in a new light for many uh, educators and musicians. The idea that improvisation informs our reading and our composing and our theory. The idea that we learn better audiation skills, better thinking skills of music through the practice of listening and improvising. And that in that context of speaking language of music, we can come together as various communities, because if you attract international groups of people, the whole idea of this kind of coming together, this fusion of, of people, uh, creates innovation, some uh, ideas for combining styles and understanding each other, and ultimately uh, a, a good amount of growth and education from a foundation of creativity. So I think I'm honored to be here to do this work because it combines this idea of music making, music learning, music teaching and learning, and a combination of different people from around different parts of the globe coming together to uh, innovate and to think about how we can best interact with each other as educators and as musicians in the music Uh, learning process. Professor Sarah, thank you very much for being here, for coming all the way from the United States and talk with me for our audience. And thank you for sharing, for sharing your experience and your knowledge. To all of you at home, thank you for listening to the artistic talk, our Hamburg Open Online University at the Hochschule für Musik und Theater podcast. My name is Almut Übergrüb and till next time.